It takes more than making and then sadly deleting hundreds of backwards incompatible changes to be a great software engineer. <laughs> this is episode 134 of the Soft Skills Engineering Podcast. I'm your host, Jameson Dance. I'm your host, Dave Smith. <laughs> Soft Skills Engineering is a podcast where we answer all of your questions about the non-technical things that go into the technical field of software development. It sounds like you've had a rough week. <laughs> Sometimes I stay up late-ish and I just wonder like, what would it be like if I didn't have to worry about backwards compatibility? And then I just go crazy. And then I look at my diff. I'm like, yeah, that's a lot of lines deleted. Awesome. And then I sadly get checkout. No. Dash, dash. <laughs> get <laughs> reset. Dash, dash hard. <laughs> yeah. Oh. Get reset. Dash, dash tier. <laughs> <laughs> you know, there aren't enough feelings in command line interfaces. That's true. Where's the input for how I feel when I run the command? <laughs> That's a different show, though. That's not this show. <laughs> yeah. This episode is sponsored by Pluralsight. Pluralsight is hiring software engineers, data scientists, and machine learning engineers in Boston and Salt Lake City. Go to pluralsight.com slash soft skills to see what job openings are available. Do you want to talk about our wonderful patrons? I absolutely do. We would like to thank the following amazing individuals who have contributed at the level where we say their names every single week. Thank you for your contribution. They are Matthew Wodowicz, the Agile Ventures Charity, Zach Grannon, Michael Green, David Jackson, Nick Cantar, and Sean Clayton. Thank you for supporting the show. If you'd like to support the show, go to softskills.audio and click on the support us on Patreon button. Even a dollar a month helps us to pay for editing and hosting costs, which otherwise would bleed me dry. <laughs> not me <laughs> they they would do it all i am the financial backbone of this podcast <laughs> let's dive into our questions i'm gonna just read it all right this is from an anonymous listener i'm currently doing nearly nothing at work not by choice and getting paid a king's ransom for it just to stay on the roster i've never been in this situation before would i be foolish to give it all up just to not be so miserably bored I'm pretty sure this isn't sustainable and that I'd get laid off in the next economic downturn before you guys might get to my question, <laughs> but just curious what your insights are. <laughs> don't worry. There's, I don't think we're ever going to have another economic downturn. We've already had one. <laughs> How many can there be? I know. There was only one Great Depression. <laughs> there can't be two. Of course, that's what they said well, after the World War I, which they didn't call World War I, right? Yeah. Yeah, if they call it the Greatest Depression, <laughs> then there would only be able to be one. But they didn't. <laughs> <laughs> a pretty big depression. Pretty. <laughs> the Greater Depression is on the way. Also, the subtitle for my journal the past week. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Yeah. Interesting. I'm, I, I have a lot of questions that aren't going to get answered. I'm just going to ask them to you, Dave, and maybe you can make up the answers. Oh, yeah, like, for sure. Not by choice. What does this mean? Me Why... <laughs> Yeah. I'm currently doing nothing at work, not by choice, and getting paid a king's ransom. Is it like they they keep getting moved off of projects before they ship? Is it like there's dependencies so they can't start work on their thing yet? I, I, I have a hard time understanding how you would have literally nothing to do. Maybe not by choice is actually a cry for help. There's someone standing with a gun to his head. Oh, this is like a... Okay. <laughs> Let me read between the lines and I will, it looks, all right, I think I got it. You're really hungry and I've ordered you some Jimmy John's, but no bun because it looks like <laughs> from reading between the lines, gluten-free. <laughs> okay. I, I, 
did I interpret the like coded ransom note message here? <laughs> they're crying for help. I think that's the help they're looking for. They're hungry. I see. I have no idea what you're talking about, but I like it. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I, I just don't understand how you could be in the situation of getting paid a lot of money and not... I guess I could see where there's not a ton of external direction on what you do, but then wouldn't you just find stuff to do? Not if the company is big enough. <laughs> this does seem like a big company thing. You couldn't you couldn't be like one-fifth of the startup engineering yeah. team and just like do nothing. Yeah. <laughs> well, I can't start my work yet because the other four people are not done with their thing. Yeah, I don't think so. I hope, I hope no one notices. <laughs> <laughs> I could see this happening at a big enough company, especially after some kind of reorganization it's just happened and kind of the ink isn't really dry yet and not really clear how to efficiently run the team. And you got, you kind of slipped through the organizational cracks. I could see it. So, okay. I guess I'll just believe you that it can happen, but what should you do? Cause it does seem weird that you would be like, Hey, I'm not doing anything. Are you okay with that? Yeah. <laughs> not the best <laughs> conversation with your boss. <laughs> so, you know, the past six months, <laughs> Let me tell you all about The Office or I don't know, whatever you do. Whatever TV show you dove into. Yeah. You, you you just sit down and you're having this like really in-depth architectural discussion while you're flawlessly completing <laughs> a Minesweeper level incredibly quickly. <laughs> How did you have time to do that? You're like, I don't know. Lots of practice. <laughs> Four to eight hours every day for six months. <laughs> what's the what's the number of hours you need to achieve mastery? <laughs> <laughs> 10,000 hours that's right it's like the groundhog day thing where he flings the cards into the hat oh yeah or learns to play the piano yeah how did you learn to play the piano well my dad was a piano mover <laughs> <laughs> so what do you do i mean i i could see how it'd be unfulfilling if you're literally kept from doing fulfilling work for sure like for the rest of your life that could be pretty bad yeah but this strikes me as a highly temporary situation. <laughs> it will end for better one way or, or for worse. Another. Yeah. <laughs> so, I am the kind of person that goes insane if I'm bored at work, which has only yeah. happened to me like maybe a few times for a few days. Is it good insane where you produce like really tortured art? <laughs> Or you just bad insane? Bad, no, definitely bad insane. <laughs> More the like tortured art is made out of poop, <laughs> painted on the walls by hand. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yep. <laughs> More like that. <laughs> oh man! But uh, you know, I just can't stand not contributing, and it makes me start, you know, brushing up my resume, looking for other jobs laboriously working through every exercise and cracking the coding interview sixth edition. <laughs> Wait a minute. That's the second week in a row that book has come up. <laughs> what about, I mean, I don't think I've been in this situation. Does it feel like you just have a blank check? Cause you could do whatever you want. Could you just like find a team that is doing cool stuff and be like, Hey, do you want free help? <laughs> That'd be cool. I don't know how realistic that is though. Maybe it'd be worse to be doing something for a different team than to be doing nothing. I don't think so. I think it'd be better. Well, I mean, better for you, right? But maybe like whatever shadowy organization is making this happen would be like, you can't help that team. You're supposed to be doing nothing for our team. 
Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Who's going to do nothing for our team if you're helping that team? <laughs> you never know. We could be dealing with a really perverse incentive system here where you're supposed to be charging some contract by the hour and burning it down because otherwise uh, your customer will lose their money for next year's budget or something. So mm. maybe you're trapped. Yeah. But I, I mean, if you're trapped and it's unfulfilling, I feel like the answer at the end of every parable or fable or storybook is always like, and it turns out money wasn't the most important thing. <laughs> Doing what made you happy was. and Yeah. So I guess if I believe all those people, then maybe you just quit and get a job where the work is fulfilling. Well, let me just tell you, you don't go into a career of writing fables because you make a lot of money. <laughs> <laughs> famed wealthy person anonymous author <laughs> yeah <laughs> who wrote facebook quotes didn't become a millionaire is that what you're telling me i mean i went into fable writing for the money but i stayed around for the fulfillment <laughs> all all the money gets gobbled up by big chicken soup for the soul that <laughs> corporate entity the little guys writing the books don't get anything <laughs> <laughs> big chicken soup for the soul no wonder yeah. there's so many freaking spinoffs of that franchise <laughs> I don't know. I I feel like if I were truly trapped, I feel like it would you mentioned the coding the cracking the coding interview thing. Isn't this an opportunity to play with every random cool thing? Like mm-hmm. what I I don't know. Serverless blockchain learning <laughs> machines, whatever. Crypto. <laughs> don't forget crypto. Yeah, I feel like we've been making fun of crypto for long enough that there's got to be a new cutting edge thing. Yeah. And I'm just Yeah. It'll come. Too behind the times to know. Object-oriented programming is new, right? You can make fun of that. No one knows what it is, so oh, good point. you just get to make up a definition and then claim it's you've discovered the true meaning of it. So if you spend your whole day like experimenting with new technologies and teaching yourself new stuff, how do you deal with the crippling guilt at night? That's what I want to know. Mm, that's a really good question. You know that gif of that guy who's wiping his tears with money? <laughs> is that how you do it? I think so. <laughs> Don't you just buy stuff to make yourself temporarily happy? You drive home in your Tesla. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I could see the guilt being a thing, especially if like, I don't know, maybe you're on a team and the team is kind of aware of it. That would that would be hard for me, I think, actually, if I felt like it was negatively affecting other people. I, I just don't, I, I think I don't know enough about this situation to understand how this could be, though. Well, who cares how it could be? You're, you're, you're stuck here. And yeah. You're making a ton of money, you're doing nothing, you're on the roster, and what do you do? I mean, I guess you either change it or or don't change make it. the most of it. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, I guess you you boiled it down to the core. <laughs> <laughs> but but you could try to move to something more productive in the company or try helping out other teams or whatever, like working around the fact that you're doing nothing. Um or just go get a different job. Or you could use it as a little laboratory to learn and improve and grow. You could get really good at meditation. That is true, isn't that? Yeah, there's there's a lot of focus nothing there, right? Mm-hmm. Eight hours a day of mindfulness. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a professional mindfulness engineer. This is the extreme form of hammock-driven development. <laughs> it's just hammock-driven relaxation. <laughs> Yeah, have you heard of hammock-driven development? I, I think so. Is this is this where I was gonna? I'm okay. I'm just gonna make myself look stupid. What is it? Oh, 
we'll, we'll just edit all that part out. No, no, we'll it's cool. Part. <laughs> <laughs> I don't mind. I first started it from a Rich Hickey talk. I don't know if he invented it, but it's basically the all of the stuff, all the thinking parts of your job that don't happen while you're sitting at a computer typing out the answer that you thought of. Mm-hmm. So your your brain is like churning away on problems and kind of like the shower thoughts and the. Yep. the I was gonna say I do that in the shower. Yeah, like the idle background processing that somehow figures stuff out. You're just on a tear of hammock-driven development. <laughs> By the way, when I said I do that in the shower, what I meant was I have my hammock in the shower. <laughs> Not sure if that was clear. There's a suction cup to the walls. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I have some serious advice here, but I'm actually super reluctant to give it. Okay. And... <sighs> I don't know. Don't judge me, world, for this, but (laughs) I'm going to say you have your whole career to be frantic and busy and constantly up against the wall of a deadline or pressure with too much to do and 30 items on your to-do list. Why not just take advantage of this opportunity for just, I don't know, maybe a few weeks and then see what happens. You know, just like give yourself a pass for a few weeks, maybe a couple months, and then and then deal with this. I mean, obviously, if this goes on for a couple of years, you're going to be guilt-ridden, miserable, and you're going to start deteriorating as an engineer because your skills will rot, right? Yeah. Uh, unless you're working through Cracking the Coding interview full-time for two years, in which case you'll be the Just best in interviewer of all time. Yeah. <laughs> Which means you will be the best employee of all time. That's right. right? That's right. Right, companies? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that is an interesting appeal to extremes, isn't it? Yeah. Like, would you really want to hire someone who is so good at interviewing? I, I would kind of embrace it. I think I would lean into this and just relax, take a load off and, and, you know, do what this company is asking you to do, which in this case is very little, and see where it leads. And And just remember, you've got your whole life to be a frantic you know, behind the curve engineer constantly trying to meet the next deadline. Yeah, that seems valuable. In other words, you won the lottery, <laughs> you know? Yeah. And yet I hate myself for saying this, don't I? I mean, that's, oh, it's so bad. It feels bad, but I think it's right. Does it feel bad because you feel like you're taking advantage of this company? Exactly. Or because you're not being, you're not producing for yourself? No, just the first thing. And you're getting paid. The co- presumably the company thinks they're getting value out of you, but you're not really delivering value. You know, unless there's some implicit thing here like, oh, by the way, I am uh, Guido who invented Python and the company just wants to employ me, you know, yeah. so that I don't go to my competitor, their competitors. I don't know, something like that. That's different. But I think in this case, it's probably a, an organizational accident that you are doing nothing and getting paid for it. Yeah, I... I think this is some people's, well, some people's dream in a couple ways. One, there are definitely people whose dream is to do nothing and get paid for it. But also, (laughs) you just have a lot of freedom. You can do, you can do nothing, but there's got to be something you could do. You can just figure out how to provide value without anyone telling you what to do. And that seems like an interesting experiment. I have a few ideas. Okay. Are you interested in mailing out podcast stickers? (laughs) (laughs) it sounds like you're offering free labor (laughs) we have some tasks we value at zero (laughs) dollars what a coincidence (laughs) the perfect marketplace (laughs) 
No, but I mean, there, there's got to be some like wacky project or some some moonshot thing that you think would be cool or something that you feel like would be hard to get like approvals for dedicated teams for, but would make people's lives better. Some some dev tools thing or I don't know. There's you could you could use that as a challenge to see because I agree with you, David. It seems unlikely that this will last forever. I don't think you're necessarily doing anything morally wrong, especially if you're using it as a chance to say like, well, no one's telling me to do anything useful, so I'll just do something I think is useful. Mm, feels borderline morally wrong. <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I Well, I mean, I just, my guilt would be off the charts. Yeah. I feel like this would, this would assuage my guilt if I could convince myself that they're telling me not to do this other work, but I'm going to do this thing that I think is important and will help the team. That no one is telling me to do. Yeah. And they can't they can't just say like literally do nothing. And I think I as part of that, there's probably a little bit of risk that you might stir up enough that people might notice me like, wait, you're working on what? Why are you working on that? Oh, you don't have anything to work on? And then it it'll crush your little bubble. Exactly. Like let's say you spend the next six months building this thing and someone you demo it and someone, you know, some leadership person is like, Wait, this must have taken you at least six months to build full time. <laughs> <laughs> how how is that worse than if you do nothing for six months though that's it seems like it could only be better that you that you have something to show for it instead of back to back to back through cracking the coding interview yeah good point which is a fine book we do we're not ripping on the book <laughs> <laughs> it is a fine book it's actually very good <laughs> yeah all right i feel like we've we've argued ourselves in circles all right where are you landing on this one then just my idea is clearly the best one because I thought of it. I, I agree. <laughs> Anytime you think of stuff, it's good. So you're saying get a project that benefits the company in some way and do it. Throw yourself into it. Take this as an opportunity to do something that you could never get approval to do and yeah. then see what happens. Yeah, I think so. If if it feels transient anyways, um, you can try and make the most of it. That that's That's assuming you're not trying to just like milk it for all it's worth though. Yeah. I don't know. I don't really know what to do in that. I don't know. That would feel bad. But yeah, that would feel bad. Yeah, this feels like kind of a blank check to try cool stuff. So I think. That. Yeah, I think this is a gift. I mean, look at you. Most people have to toil and suffer to earn <laughs> a lot less than you probably do. So. Yeah. All right. Question answered. Oh wait, wait. What if you're not interested in mailing podcast stickers? Mm. You could just to offset your guilt. You could head on over to Patreon and just make a. Re- <laughs> Really big donation. <laughs> and, then, yeah. and then we would forgive you for not mailing the stickers. <laughs> what are those things that uh, the Catholic Church did in the Middle Ages? Oh, I know the Indulgences? Word. Yeah, that's Is the that word. what they were? Yeah. <laughs> All right. So we're, that's basically what you're saying we're offering. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Cool. I mean, you're the financial brains behind this podcast, so I'll, <laughs> <laughs> I'll let you handle that part. All right. Okay. Good luck. Question answered. <laughs> we would like to bring you a message from our sponsor for this show, Pluralsight. I knew that I was not great with CSS, but thanks to Pluralsight, I got to learn exactly how not great I am with one of their skill IQ skill assessments. I was not surprised to learn that 50% of engineers are better than me at CSS. Uh, Listen, Dave, I've got some bigger numbers. of engineers are better than me at CSS, (laughs) according to this assessment. (laughs) So there's some nifty stuff going on when you take it, besides the shaming it did to me. Um, The algorithm adapts the difficulty of the assessment to how you respond. So if it 
if it's too tricky, if you get a lot of answers wrong, then it makes the questions easier and vice versa too. And they're using item response theory, Bayesian stats, machine learning, data science, that kind of stuff. Oh, I could tell it was dumbing the test down for me the more I took it. <laughs> <laughs> so we're talking about this, first of all, because it's, it's kind of cool to uh, learn where you are lacking. But also, Pluralsight is hiring to work on this kind of thing. They're hiring folks to work on machine learning, data science, and engineering. That's right. So I actually know a few people who work at Pluralsight, um, and they say that it's a really great place to work. They have openings in Salt Lake City and Boston, and Pluralsight was voted the 18th best company to work for in the U.S. by Fortune magazine. If you want to check out the open jobs, go to pluralsight.com slash soft skills. That'll take you to a special page just for soft skills engineering podcast listeners. That's P-L-U-R-A-L. S-I-G-H-T dot com slash soft skills. Check it out. Thank you, Pluralsight. Do you want to read the next question, Dave? Sure. This comes from a listener named Jerry who says, how do I deal with teams that are run as air quotes agile, but management who wants timelines and deadlines to steer the business? I'm at my second large software development company that's following the agile and scrum ceremonies. Oh, I like that word. (laughs) (laughs) That's a good one. Agile and scrum ceremonies with weekly sprints that entail grooming and planning and retro meetings. But management keeps track of progress to align the efforts of multiple teams spread across the organization. I've noticed over the past year an increased desire to estimate timelines for when each team will be done with their portion of the project. This forces the teams to groom and size stories months out ahead. These estimates end up becoming deadlines that need justification to be pushed back, which is common since as you get into the work you find more stories that need to be added. I had a very similar experience in my last company. Both have between five and 10,000 employees. I understand the needs of the business to plan ahead, so saying it'll be ready when it's done is not a good answer. However, it feels like we're constantly falling behind arbitrary deadlines and in a constant frenzy to catch up. So what to do? I have a meta answer, which is that this will never not be a problem ever. Mm-hmm. Like from the very beginning of software, they immediately were like, huh, everything takes way longer than we thought it would. <laughs> what are we going to do about it? Let's have a conference to solve it today. Mm-hmm. And then they realized it was hard. But... I like the, yeah, I like the word ceremonies too. It feels like we need more fanfare at the beginning of our agile meetings. <laughs> Little trumpets, <laughs> announcers, not announcers. They have fancier names than that. Stand yeah. Up. Calling this meeting to order. Hear ye, hear ye. Yeah. <laughs> Her Excellency, the scrum mistress. <laughs> <laughs> the scrum mistress. <laughs> yeah. I think more ceremony would spice it up a little bit. Mm-hmm. So it turns out if you only think of what you're going to do a week in advance, you can't answer the question, when is this thing that's going to take two years going to be done? I feel like there's, I understand this tension between like focus on tight iteration and like longer term goals, but I don't, I I wonder how this happens where um, estimates turn into deadlines because I do see it all the time as well. It's definitely not only you and it, it it seems like someone somewhere asks, hey, what's your team going to do? And then someone has to be like, well, we're going to do X, Y, and Z. And then they're like, okay, cool. When's that going to be done? And then you say like three months. And then three months later, they're like, hey, how about that thing that you said you were going to get done? So I don't know that it is always necessarily meant to be a deadline, but it, it always gets attached to time somehow. Oh, yeah. And I don't know if there's a way to totally detach time from delivering anything i don't know that that's possible like especially if you have teams that depend on each other and you need to coordinate between them where this thing needs to happen first and this other team's working on it and 
I know how to do it. How? I have all the answers. Okay. Have Where you- were you in the 50s when they started having these conferences? <laughs> well, <laughs> okay. I, you know those space movies where they put the passengers into hypersleep for like months yeah. and months? Okay. okay, yeah. So you get your... Oh, like put your executives <laughs> in hypersleep. <laughs> See, the problem The problem here is that the, the people who are, you know, holding you to these timelines and who need to give approval when you want to change them, the problem is they're all awake. <laughs> if you said okay in six months we're going to deliver this and then you put all the management management people to sleep for those six months and then woke them up in six months and they would just say oh you did or you didn't deliver it then you could have six months of really productive time and that's that that's my whole answer and why and why jameson to answer your sassy question where was i in the 50s hypersleep hadn't been invented yet <laughs> Rip Van Winkle is prior art for that, though. <laughs> oh, darn it. <laughs> okay, so just, like, knock them out somehow. I, yeah, it feels like, I, I I mean, the core answer of how you get a thing done at a fixed time is usually cut scope. Mm-hmm. It's very trite, but that's kind of the only thing you can do. If, if you can't control the deadline, you can control, like, it's done. Yep. So I've, I've seen that work successfully where you have either real or arbitrarily imposed deadlines that you need to hit you just say okay we can do anything we want as long as it's done by the state <laughs> that's that's the fixed part and here's the broad thing that we'd like to get done and we'll we'll have something done by then yep the part that sounds pretty dysfunctional here is all the effort into months ahead of time estimation of individual stories that that seems like it would only slow you down why is that why would it slow you down just the time spent estimating yeah, the time spent on this work that's not going to be useful because it's so far away that it feels like your work estimating it is is more likely to be thrown out by the time you actually get to working on that or that that thing won't even be important by the time you get to to that point. It I don't know, maybe I'm just bad at project management, but it it feels like you you have to have a a vague broad vision and then you cut the specifics to hit deadlines and you just kind of work as much as you can. Yeah, it doesn't and I, feel very satisfying and it's hard to sell consulting and books and stuff on that. <laughs> and cutting scope only works to a point. Like if you what we yeah. have here is a dependency system where you've got teams that are depending on one another to deliver components that they need and you can cut scope, but if you cut scope beyond what the other team needs in order to deliver their stuff, then they have to cut scope and then I mean, I guess I guess it's just scope cuts all the way down. But, you know, I don't know. I mean, I my mind has changed on this so much over the last five or six years. I was just a staunch, it'll be done when it's done engineer at my last company. And we mm-hmm. planned, we basically made commitments to the rest of the business of like, we did two week sprints and I think we committed, uh, what did we do? 30 days or six, no, 60 days. I think we did 60 days of commitments and we never, ever went beyond 60 days. And uh, it worked okay. It worked okay. But sometimes reality required more than a 60-day commitment for something that was either big or we had some other external deadline that was pressuring something or some other customer that needed, you know, some commitment in order to sign a really big contract or something. So, you know, these like aspirational desires to keep scope within a, or keep the schedule within a bound that you can be confident about, they always fail eventually for uh, reasons of reality. Yeah. And then and then I went to a company that does 
uh, much more aggressive planning with hugely in, hugely complex inter-team dependencies. And what I found was that what makes it all work is an army of people whose job is to manage the interdependency and manage the schedules and alert teams when, when things are slipping or changing um, and then just deal with the fallout of schedule slipping. And because I think change is inevitable. And so, you know, yeah, you get pushback when things need to change, but what you really need is a mechanism in place that is designed to respond to the change and allow the business to keep functioning. It sounds like you're saying that you need to encourage that communication of, of what the reality is going to be for timelines. For Instead sure. of the, the impression I'm getting is it's, it's not okay to say, hey, I don't know if we're going to get this thing done in this time. And that seems like it only makes things worse. Yeah, I think it's not gonna. I think there's a healthy know, balance there's, there's, of like pressure. It's pretty rare that you're like, I'm pretty sure we're gonna be behind six months into the project, and then a year, and you're like, oh, turns out I was wrong. <laughs> we were ahead. <laughs> it all worked out. <laughs> like if you have an early inkling that stuff is gonna slip, that's. It seems like that's kind of. Yeah. I don't know how to put it. That feels pretty real to me. It's predictive. So you're saying that there are people like mining that information and aggressively communicating it out instead of this feeling of like, you better not tell me it's going to slip. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. Yes. And I think the more important thing is that there's a process in place to respond to and manage schedule change. And that means people who are tasked with staying on top of all the schedules, understanding the dependencies, understanding what the ripple effects are when schedules need to change. And then managing that change so that the right people get informed and the teams are able to adapt and and move around as needed to to deal with it. Yeah, the first step of that seems to be acknowledging that it's going to happen though. Mm-hmm. Where it feels like a lot of places base their their style on like we're going to get everything done no matter what at the times that we set. Yeah. And ev- everything less than that is a failure that you'll get in trouble for. Right. And I and I think you have to be really careful to put too much trust. Like you have to put the right amount of trust in a delivery schedule based on the number of dependencies that are uh, that compose that schedule. So like, for example, if you want to deliver feature X, but you know that there's like a three team deep hierarchy of dependencies behind that feature, um, like that clearly is a riskier proposition than a feature that only has one team that's going to work on it exclusively and, and ship mm. it. And so yeah. like, your leadership just needs to know that. Yeah. I've yeah, I've definitely seen that in my own work over the last year or so that it's way easier to get stuff done that our team owns than stuff that, even if it's just one other team, it just like quadruples the yeah. amount of time it takes. Yeah, I wonder I wonder if there's like <laughs> what was the the book People Wear? I wonder mm-hmm. if there's like a, a new iteration in that style that has to do now with like interteam dependency risk. Instead hmm. of, you know, the mythical man. No, I'm thinking mythical man month. That's what I'm thinking of is that book. I wonder if there's a new book that could be written now based on like microservices and these organizations that kind of look like microservices, you know? Yeah. It sounds like you should write it. Oh, man. I'd read rich. it. Okay. So what's, I think you're right. That's my conclusion from this one. I got to be right last time. I think you're right this time. All right. Well, is that a reasonable solution to put on this person? <laughs> Just like your organization should have people whose job it is to manage these dependencies. And then Probably not. Or Jerry's like, yeah, it should. Yeah, we should. <laughs> <laughs> well, 
Back to work. <laughs> Our work here is done. <laughs> Wasn't that easy. Yeah, maybe just bubbling up that it's a problem. It feels like the kind of thing that everybody kind of just knows is a problem. And maybe if you mm-hmm. articulate it, it I don't know. It doesn't it can't be a surprise to anybody that it is painful in this way. Yeah, I'm trying to think of the right words like when you provide an estimate. I'm trying to think of the right words to qualify that estimate, you know. It doesn't matter what they are. It's going to bubble up five layers and each layer will remove an order of magnitude yeah. <laughs> of sentences. <laughs> yep. That's and by right. the end it'll just be a grunt of like whoa. Ah. That means a certain number of <laughs> weeks. <laughs> I love it. Don't you love it though? When like you, I've seen this before where a team gives an estimate and it's like, it's like seven months away and they've picked a specific day of the month that they're going to deliver something. Yep. And you're like, yeah, right. <laughs> like, <come on. laughs> We're going to deliver this on July 7th at 3.15 PM. <laughs> Would you feel any more confident if it was like a longer, but longer, further away, but more specific time? Or is it just the fact that it's so specific that makes you be like, whatever? Like if it was two years from now, July 14th or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> would you be like, okay, that's long enough. Maybe they can arrange it to hit that date. No, no. I mean, I think like, why did you give me that level of specificity? Like if they were saying it's next week on Tuesday at 3.15 p.m., I'd be like, oh, they probably have their crap together. But if they said it's two years out at 3.15 p.m., I'd be like, you guys are just making stuff up. Yeah. That's what I would, that's what I would think. That kind of gets into the idea of planning, of sizing things based on uncertainty, not just on like how many yeah. calendar days it will take you to do a thing where yeah. the fuzzier it is, the bigger the estimate is because it's you're, you're extrapolating based on a little tiny amount of data. And the yeah. further your extrapolation has to go, the less accurate it's going to be. I like to see schedules that uh, decrease the precision as the... Um, time horizon moves out. So like, yeah. you know, if you're talking about next week, you can say a day of the week. If you're talking about next month, you can say maybe what week in the month you plan to deliver. But if you're talking about next year, you're talking quarters now. Like, And, and, and I think it's totally appropriate for a team to lay out a year's worth of quarters and say, you know, in Q1, we're going to ship this. In Q2, we're going to ship this. And then every quarter, that whole schedule changes based on what you learned this quarter, you know? But yeah. there's, this, uh, there's this concept called continuous planning too. I don't know much about it besides the name. (laughs) (laughs) Sounds pretty good. (laughs) Okay. Yeah, that I like that idea of of scoping the accuracy of your estimate to the the distance from current time. Yeah, like it should be again it should be basically, you know, verboten to get to say like a date that's more than twelve months out. You should be targeting a quarter or a month. Yeah. This is all assuming there isn't like, I don't know, the IRS has a date that's 12 months out. <laughs> there isn't some hard that's external true. deadline. It's yeah, just like, yeah. when is your project going to be delivered? Yeah, exactly. Okay. Have we helped Jerry? <laughs> Poor Jerry. <laughs> yep. I think we solved all of Jerry's problems. Yeah. Good news. We've solved it. <laughs> all of the work that's gone on in the past decades has been leading up to now, and we did it. We finally figured it all out. When I say we, I mean Dave. <laughs> <laughs> I do just want to acknowledge, though, this tension. Like, when you're working on an agile team, it's actually totally normal to have a tension between long-term business objectives and the nature of agile planning, which is only plan what you can deliver in the next sprint, right? Yeah. Well, what used to be the tension until we solved it. Until, 
until hypersleep made everything right. <laughs> All right. Where can people go if they want their own previously unsolved questions to be solved? Go to softskills.audio and click on ask a question. Thank you so much to everyone who's been asking questions. We, as usual, we have way too many questions to answer, but you are the lifeblood of the show, so keep them coming. And a little tip, try to keep them as brief as possible. Share any relevant detail, but uh, the shorter, the sweeter. It's that same tension. Give us all the detail, but please keep them short. Yep. (laughs) (laughs) It's a theme in life. Uh, Yeah, thank you very much for listening, and we will catch you next week.